Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Well, again, welcome. If you are new or visiting and this is your your first Sunday, it's a great Sunday to be here. Um, We are kicking off a new sermon series um, that I think the graphic is titled like, Well, What About? Yeah. Well, what about? Um, Hard questions for Christianity as it's there. We just wrapped up a series on the book of Colossians uh, about being the people of God and now moving into the month of August, asking hard questions of Christianity. And we're going to have some guest preachers teaching us throughout this series. And I am really thrilled to have the privilege of introducing today's guest speaker. Um, It was a few months ago that I, excuse me, um, realized that I think curiosity is a core value of mine. And uh, I, even yesterday in thinking about that, I was like, where does that come from? Where, where did it come from? And I think that it, it's always been there if it's a core value, if you've, if you've seen inside out, like the island of curiosity has always been there. Uh, but it really started to flourish under the guidance of who, our, our guest preacher today back in the early, or I guess the late aughts. Um, I had the privilege of being taught by Dr. Luke Bobo. Um, That's the only time I'm going to say your first name because it feels a little bit like calling your coach by their first name. Uh, Affectionately, Dr. B to me. Um, was had the privilege of being taught by this man for four years while at Lindenwood University. He's now the Director of Strategic Partnerships at Maine to Flourish, and I can't think of a better person to usher us into this series about asking hard questions than uh, Dr. B. So I will invite you up as we continue in our time today. Good morning. How's everyone? Aren't you glad to see your pastor back? This is a big Bible. Thank you, Kayla. Um, You know, some folks don't have the pleasure of having their dream job. I had my dream job at Lindenwood, and it was because of students like Kayla. I really enjoy going to work every day because of students like her. It's good to see Ed and Mary. Uh, Never met Mary in person. We were friends on Facebook, like Joel over here, who um, we have a talk coming a bit later. Yes. Joel likes to um, invite himself to conversations that Kayla and I have. You guys know he's a hoot, right? <laughs> Darden, uh, he's not here today. Darden and I go back a long ways. Uh, we would meet at a coffee shop and commiserate together. Um, Trey, thank you for this privilege to stand before your people. Before you do, you've been on sabbatical. And let me just say, Refuge, that's very rare for churches to do that, to give their pastor a sabbatical. How long was yours? Two and a half months. Two and a half months. Uh, many times a church will fall apart when pastors leave on sabbatical. And so by the evidence of you being here, 
You guys haven't fallen apart, which is, which is good. And it's also good to give your pastor that gift uh, of a Sabbath. He, he's not Superman. And too often we, we burn out our pastors and can wreak havoc on their health and their families. So thank you for um, allowing him to do that. So I want to uh, dedicate this sermon to Professor Jaron Bars at Covenant Seminary. And Kayla's heard that name uh, a time or two. Because Jaron Bars, he modeled the how of asking and answering good questions. He, he did it with such joy. He was thorough. You could ask Jerem a question in apologetics and outreach. He can take the entire hour answering that question. And he did it, he did it thoughtfully. And so he, he respected us as students as we asked. I'm not, I'm not sure if they were good questions, but he took time to answer our questions. I'm not creative with fancy titles, but this sermon is entitled uh, Seekers of Unbelievers and the Role of Questions. Seekers of Unbelievers and the Role of Questions. And if you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do because your pastor is Trey Herwick, turn to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> Luke 10, I'm sorry, Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Now, as I read this, you would not find any questions. Jesus doesn't ask questions in this particular passage, but that's okay. This, this passage is still instructive for our topic today. So I assume that you're there. We find these words. He entered, meaning Jesus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to, to the Lord, Look, I've, I've, I give half of my possessions to the poor Lord. If I have cheated or robbed or stolen anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And let me invite you to keep your Bibles open, uh, because we will journey through this passage together. 
And I'd like to offer a, a caveat before we get started. The promo on Facebook said that I would preach on asking good questions. I want to flip that. I remember something James K.A. Smith wrote in his book, You Are What You Love. Speaking of idolatry, one of the guys standing in front of you talked about idolatry. James K.A. Smith said in his book, You Are What You Love, he says this, Our first question in the morning should not be, What should I do today? You shouldn't be checking your, your checklist. The first question to ask in the morning is, Who am I becoming today? Because it's out of who we are becoming that informs our doing, i.e. asking good questions. So the focus is not on what you are going to do today. The focus should be is who are you becoming today? And I hope you're becoming more like Christ. My wife uh, often accuses me of stealing her friends. I'm not sure where she gets that. She might be right. But I do confess stealing some of her relatives, like Aunt Lily and Aunt Vi. Aunt Vi lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and boy, do I wish I had asked her about the Tulsa race riots. Did she live through that? She was so generous and had a laugh that was contagious. When she died, Rita, my wife, inherited some of her precious china. This china is so fragile, so precious, that we must handle it with care. The questions unbelievers bring to us must be handled with extreme care. Why? Because there's a human person, there's a fragile human person behind every question. Questions are deeply personal. Questions reveal a person's deeply held beliefs. Beliefs, beloved, are not benign. Our beliefs have consequences. Simone Biles has been in the news. Listen to this tweet. To give you evidence that beliefs are not benign, but they have consequences, listen to what she tweeted. The outpouring of love and support I've received has made me realize that I'm more than my accomplishments. And gymnastics, which I never truly believed before, That's just heartbreaking. To mishandle a question is to disrespect the person asking the question. A seeker of unbelievers handles unbelievers' questions with care. Jesus was a seeker of unbelievers. And I should 
I should ask at this point, I'm, I'm assuming that everyone in this sanctuary are seekers of unbelievers. Otherwise, Trey, I think we're wasting our time. Do you, do you purposely seek out unbelievers? That's our calling. Our calling is to go out and befriend unbelievers. Imagine that. That's what Christ did. Christ spent time with sinners. He, he sought us out. We're graving on his hands. We just sung that. Seekers of unbelievers must be careful and thoughtful to give honest answers to honest questions. Dr. Schaefer used to say that. In fact, we should practice what Dr. Schaefer would practice. He said if he had 50 to 55 minutes with an unbeliever, he would spend the first 50 to 55 minutes listening and asking clarifying questions. Let me, let me check that. If he had 60 minutes with an unbeliever, he would spend the first 50 to 55 minutes listening and asking clarifying questions. If you hear nothing else I say from this point on, please, please, please stop talking and listen. James puts it this way, be lightning quick to listen and turtle slow to speak. Well, he didn't say it like that. Listen to what is spoken and listen especially to what is unspoken. A friend of mine, Nikki, works for a bank in Wichita, Kansas. And she told me recently that she and other VPs take what they call listening tours. They visit other banks, and they listen to employees relate their work and personal stories. As seekers of unbelievers, we must pretend we're on a listening tour. And tours I've been on, I talk less, and I listen more. Let's pretend we're on a listening tour with unbelievers and listen. By not talking much and listening well, we can avoid what Travis Scott, Travis worked for me at the Schaefer Institute at Covenant Seminary. He was my intern. He wrote the book, Faithful Doubt. I commend it to you, Faithful Doubt. Travis is pastoring in Pittsburgh. Travis says this, Pastors and us, we make the mistake giving head answers to heart questions. We give, we give head answers to heart questions. Christianity is a reasonable faith. We base that on 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. So we dare not say to a person, just believe. 
I had the pleasure of traveling to uh, Cape Town, South Africa years ago, and I remember a colleague, a brother in Christ said this, to tell someone who's curious, to tell someone who's asking questions of us, just believe is to ask that person to commit intellectual suicide. And I want you to feel the gravity of that. That's true. We need to take time to listen to people's questions and not say, just believe. That's asking them to commit intellectual suicide. Listen to me very carefully. I, I think we're on the verge of losing a generation, the Gen Zers. Barna writes, Gen Z continues to be the generation the church is struggling to reach, but an encouraging new data point offers a potential path forward. What's this new data point, you ask? Over half of non-Christian Gen Zers, 64%, have unanswered questions about faith. 40% of the same group turn to their family. Parents, that's you. If you're looking for ways to spark spiritual conversations with non-Christian members of Gen Z, consider inviting them to ask questions they are probably already thinking about. This means, of course, we, beloved, we seekers of unbelievers must know our Bibles. Just in case those in the parking lot didn't hear this. This means, of course, that we, seekers of unbelievers, we must know our Bibles. We, seekers of unbelievers, we must know our Bibles. It's just, it's just beyond me that biblical illiteracy is so high in this country. How is that possible? How is that possible? We have Bibles on our cell phones. We, we have every version you can imagine. But yet we don't know our Bibles. How is that possible? How is that possible? I just don't get it. How is it possible that we don't know our Bibles? You see, one way to know your Bible is to feel questions from unbelievers. If you don't know a sound answer, say, I don't know. Kayla heard me say that a time or two at Lindawood. I, I don't know the answer, but I will find out for you. And as you, as you dig into the Bible for the answer, you, you grow your knowledge of the Bible. You see how that works? It's not rocket science. good friend of mine, Gina Thomas, said the most holiest three words are, I don't know. It's okay to say you don't know. But seek to find the answer. So before getting to the text, and I intend to do that, one way to develop or hone your skill of asking and answering honest questions from unbelievers is for you to ask questions too. 
Again, I turn to my friend Travis Scott. He calls this faithful doubt. It's okay to have faithful doubt. In fact, show me a Christian who does not question his or her faith or question things about God, and I will show you a Christian who is probably not genuine. I will show you a Christian who is probably not growing. And I will show you a Christian who is probably not intellectually honest. In other words, it's, it's okay, it's human. It's healthy to ask questions of God in the Bible. To be curious. To interrogate. And if you think it's, if you think it's bad asking questions of a God, just wait until all hell breaks loose. Like when my wife and I lost our first kid. We bombarded God with questions. Why, God? Job asked questions of God. A dear sister here in St. Louis lost three sons by gun violence at nearly the same spot in St. Louis. She asked questions of God. And don't wait till all hell breaks loose to ask questions. You, you, God, God is not offended by our questions. He welcomes our questions. Asking questions of God has really strengthened my faith. You cannot tell me God doesn't exist. God is pretty amazing. Asking questions of God has really trained me to answer and ask maybe not good questions, but questions of unbelievers. And we need to be careful that we, <laughs> I don't know if we can say I'm asking good questions because that depends on what the unbeliever says. He or she is the judge of that. So, to our text, the, the good news from this passage is that God's grace reaches far as, and there's a book by this title, Far As, Far As the Curse is Found, written by Dr. Williams from Covenant Seminary. And I understand your daughter read that book. It's a great book. I commend that book to you. God's grace reaches to the likes of Zacchaeus, who graduated first in Crook class. It reaches to people like my mom, a teenage mom. It reaches to teenagers with body piercing like my niece. God's grace reaches to the likes of terrorists responsible for the bombing of the World Trade Centers. And may we never forget September 11, 2001. And this is for another time. Maybe Trey will invite me back and maybe he will not. But I think we encourage people to get beyond suffering and lamenting much too soon. God's grace reaches as far as the curse is found. That's pretty far. However, those who accepted Christ, 
we who are seekers of unbelievers, at times we want to limit or ration out God's grace. Despite our feeble attempts to stymie God's grace and his purposes, his grace reaches as far as the curse is found. Or in the words of Buzz Lightyear from the film Toy Story, grace that reaches to infinity and beyond. A little story about my son. We watched Toy Story 3 together when he was a teenager. And our otherwise stoic son actually wept. And I think he wept because it portrays the beauty of friendships. Friendships are a great gift. So as, as a preview of this passage, this passage provides us with four Ps. We see Zacchaeus' problem. We hear the crowd's protests. We see Zacchaeus' penitent heart. And we hear Jesus' twofold proclamation, a problem, protest, Zacchaeus' penitent heart, and Jesus' twofold proclamation. You guys okay? I'm doing wonderfully. <laughs> First, we see Zacchaeus' problem. Zacchaeus wanted desperately to see Jesus, but he had two problems. The text says he was short, like Kayla and I. <laughs> and he could not see Jesus because of the crowd. The, the Greeks suggest that the crowd actually made a barricade to keep him from seeing Jesus. <laughs> And you heard Kayla say the word, Zacchaeus' insatiable curiosity would not let him go home. He ran ahead and climbed a, a tree, a sycamore fig tree. And as a wealthy man, this action of climbing a tree was quite undignified because Zacchaeus had on the finest of finest clothes. This is like seeing a well-to-do a uh, man in a Brooks brother suit climbing a tree to see the Annie Malone parade downtown St. Louis. It was unusual and undignified. It was, it was obvious that Zacchaeus, his curiosity got the best of him. Curiosity may have killed the cat, but Zacchaeus was no cat. Well, maybe he was a cool cat. But let me pause here, and I, you know, the Holy Spirit has a way of confirming what you plan to preach about, because in my notes here, let me say it's something about curiosity. Curiosity, my friends, leads to asking good questions. Are, are you curious? Or, or maybe you know it all. Have you ever met a little kid that asks why, when, how, what, where? Well, be like a little kid and ask where, why, when, what? Parents and grandparents, let me encourage you to create a home whereby your kids or your grandkids 
are free to ask any question they like. And some of you parents are scared. But what better place than home? Allow them to ask any question they like. You see, parents, you have an awesome responsibility to do Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9. That's your job description, parents. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. You need to do it relentlessly. And this includes answering your kids' questions biblically and soundly. This means, of course, parents, you must know your Bibles. Because if you don't give the answer, they will find it somewhere. And then parents get so bent out of shape when their kids wander away from the truth. And we try to push it off on youth pastors. You train them. That's not how God designed it. I used to tell the youth ministers I taught Parents, we need to step up and be parents. Parents, we need to know our Bibles. I'm tempted to ask every parent to raise their hand, but I'm not. But you know who you are. Know your Bibles. So I have a homework assignment for you. Kayla, it's like old times. Here's your homework. Write it down. Maybe you have good memories. I want all of, us, all of us to cultivate the skill of listening. I want all of us to cultivate the virtue of humility. I want all of us to cultivate the virtue of curiosity. Yes, it is a virtue. And I want all of us to cultivate the virtue of compassion. Cultivate the skill of listening. Cultivate the virtue of humility. Cultivate the virtue of curiosity. Cultivate the, value, the virtue of, of compassion. A virtue is a good moral habit. We should make these things a habit. Habituate them. Cultivate the skill of listening, of humility, of curiosity, of compassion. So we've seen Zacchaeus' problem. He was, he was short, and the crowd blocked him. Next, we see the crowd's protests. So as Jesus and his likely his disciples traveled through Jericho, Jesus sees Zacchaeus perched in a tree like a bird. Maybe it was a red cardinal. I don't know. God calls him by name and summons him to come down and says to him, I must stay at your house today. You see, what's remarkable about this is Jesus and Zacchaeus never had a formal introduction. So we see here Jesus' supernatural knowledge or his omniscience. By calling Zacchaeus by the name his mom and dad gave him, Jesus was treating him with dignity and respect. Can you imagine the name Zacchaeus was called? You crook. You scoundrel. You thief. You backstabber. Words we never used. 
so do you show respect to others? That Psalm 8 is one of my favorite psalms. Every person you meet has been crowned with royal dignity. Every person you meet has been crowned with royal dignity. Every person you meet is royalty. You know, you know what? If, if, if we understood that, that's the, that's the solution to racism in this country. That goes back to Genesis 1, 26 through 28. If people who had slaves understood that they had someone that had royal dignity in their possession, that would have ended slavery. And I know I'm right about it. You don't, you don't have to say amen. I say amen to myself. But do you treat others with dignity and respect? You see, when you answer or when you are attentive to their questions, to unbelievers' questions, you are actually showing dignity and respect. To be attentive to their questions is to be attentive to them as a person. Most unbelievers and many of us are attention-starved. That's why you see some of the stuff on social media. People are vying for attention. Let me, let me quote two organizations. The, the Veritas Forum says this. Attention, this is a beautiful quote. Attention is the rarest and purest, purest form of generosity. Being attentive to the questions of unbelievers is to show generosity. The other quote from, comes from Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Lisa says, it takes nothing from us to listen to a position that is different than ours. In fact, if we listen and treat people with respect and dignity, it usually makes them more open to hearing us. Lisa goes on to say, listening to the questions of others is not only a form of respect, but listening to the questions of others will likely make them more open to hearing us speak truth to them. And that's been my experience. If, I, if I'm generous and attentive to unbelievers, they allow me to speak truth to them. But we, we like to go for truth first. Well, let, let me speak first. Uh, let me just clarify something. I, I want to encourage us to listen to hear and not listen to respond. There's a big difference. In his book, A Higher Loyalty, Truth, Lies, and Leadership, James Comey referred to listen to respond as the Washington listen. That doesn't sound good, does it? Because it's not. Let it not be said of you that you do the Washington listen. And Kayla may remember this illustration that I gave at Lindenwood. Here, here's, this is how you listen to hear. 
I remember very vividly my administrative assistant at the Schaefer Institute, she told me this story about this young lady she worked with at Wash U. The young lady said every time she hears a vacuum cleaner, she thinks about the two abortions she had. So what did you hear? I hear deep regret. I hear deep sadness. I hear disappointment. I heard that she needed a hug. She, she didn't need you to be throwing, uh, bumping her on the head with the Bible. She didn't need you to tell her that that was wrong. That young lady was hurting. Man, maybe... May we understand what it means to listen to hear, not listen to respond. Most of us like to get in the last word. i got to have the last word. <laughs> then when another Christian comes along, we have to apologize for your mishandling of that, un of that unbeliever. And let me just apologize uh, to the ladies in this room. If, if you were forced to think that your only option was to, to get an abortion, I'm sorry. And shame on us men for not, <laughs> not stepping up. It's a shameful. It's shameful that we as a church have not handled this abortion issue winsomely and gracefully. It's just really shameful. And we wonder why people are leaving the church. No, I don't, want to, I don't want to go there. I already feel bad enough. Attentive listening on our part communicates to the unbeliever. This is what the unbeliever is thinking. I matter. I'm cared for. I'm safe. I'm loved. I'm not dumb. I'm not crazy. So Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name without a formal introduction. Equally remarkable is that Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' home. Jesus says, I must stay at your house today, or your home today. Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' home for hospitality. In New Testament times, to entertain strangers at one's home symbolized intimacy, forgiveness, and most importantly, acceptance. Jesus knew this. Table fellowship is one of the best and most intimate means of ministry. My friends Rob and Greg know this because Rob, before he and his family moved to New Jersey, they would be hospitable to their neighbors who were Muslims. And Greg invited Mormon missionaries into his home. They had pizza together. 
And that reminds me of uh, another student at Lindenwood, Sam, tall Sam. I called him Sam I Am. I would never forget Sam giving a presentation in class, and through tears, Sam said this. I, I gave them an assignment to study a different religion. I forget exactly the details, but I do remember Sam saying that he studied Mormonism. And he said he spoke to two um, Mormon missionaries, and the, the two Mormon missionaries said this. They said, we know Christianity is true, but we cannot accept it because of the way we've been treated by Christians. My friends, answering loaded, good, innocent, difficult, far-fetched, rhetorical, or mean questions is a form of showing hospitality to unbelievers. These Mormons Sam talked about, they were, they were not showing hospitality. You know what? Jesus has shown us hospitality by saving us. Because hospitality in Greek means to love a stranger. We, didn't we quote a passage out of Romans just a moment ago? <laughs> we were strangers, Ephesians 2. We love unbelievers by fielding, fielding their loaded, good, innocent, difficult, far-fetched, rhetorical, and mean questions. Can, can you imagine the hard questions that kids likely ask Jesus over dinner? This is Zach to Jesus. Or Zacchaeus to Jesus. What does it mean that you existed for eternity? Jesus, can you explain what it means that the Holy Spirit overshadowed your, your mother Mary and she became pregnant? Can you, can you really explain that to me? Zach probably, or Zacchaeus asked, how did Joseph feel to know that his betrothed was pregnant before they got married? Oh, Jesus, since you're here, can you turn some water into wine? You like wine, I like wine. Now, Jesus, you're going to die in three days. You're going to die and in, and, and in three days be raised from the dead. Now, how does that work? Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? That's the title of a book in my library. That's the actual title of a book in my library. And a former student asked this question, does God love Satan? And I studied before I answered that question. I met this young lady. I was just eating lunch at Allen's Diner. And this student from Lindenwood, we got into a conversation, and she said, how is it possible that my dad, who has done so much good, is going to hell? I was just eating my lunch. I was just minding my own business. How's it possible that my dad does all this good and he's going to hell? Explain that, Dr. B. Will my pet, another student asked me this question, will my dog, my pet dog Jojo be in heaven? 
Jesus, if, if God is so good, all-knowing, so powerful, why does he allow pain and suffering of human beings and animals? Beloved, we need to have an answer for that question. That's one of the main reasons why unbelievers reject the gospel. This, this whole notion of the theodicy, that's the, the famous or the special word for it. If God is so good and powerful and so loving, why has he allowed so many good and vulnerable people to die during this pandemic? Okay, Jesus, your last question. If Christians are truly brothers and sisters in Christ, if they are really part of one big family, then why is the race problem still a problem? You want to know another area where I'm just so disappointed in the church is this whole race issue. We, we should be further down the road. <laughs> but we get wrapped around the axle on critical race theory. What is it? Most people don't know. If I gave you an exam, you wouldn't pass it. You know, Satan is just laughing at us. Yeah, they're, they're fighting over critical race theory. And most of them don't know a thing about it. By spending time with Zacchaeus, Jesus accepts him despite his faults. Because Zacchaeus, you know, he was a chief tax collector. That, that's the only place that phrase is used in the Gospels. Chief tax collector. Only place right here in Luke 19. You see, Zacchaeus became wealthy at the expense of others, and mainly his own people. Think Bernie Madoff on steroids. But Jesus accepts this excommunicated Jew by inviting himself to his home. So at this, at this juncture, the silent crowd in verse 3 becomes vocal because they are, they are entertaining the thought that this known crook Jesus is hosting him, or this known crook is hosting Jesus for lodging, dinner, and fellowship. In verse 7, all the people began to mutter and say, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. They're likely thinking, this, this, is, this is not typical of a rabbi. This is unbecoming. This is not typical behavior for a rabbi. But Jesus was an atypical rabbi. You might say, to use the King James Version of 1 Peter 2.9, Jesus was peculiar. And God calls us to be peculiar too. God calls us to be atypical. But we, like the crowd, are often, we have our blinders on. We fail to see what God is up to. So ask God to give you eyes to see what he's up to, and let's partner with him. But I need to issue this warning. We're called to be seekers of unbelievers, and that means being in the company of unbelievers. And here's the sad reality. Those who will criticize you most for keeping company with sinners will be brothers and sisters in Christ. But that's fine. Do it anyhow. 
See, God has not called us to be comfortable. God has called us to engage with sinners, to associate with sinners. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. That's, I've entitled that passage the astronaut passage. Paul says if you don't associate with the non-believers, then leave this world. So we've seen the problems Zacchaeus had. We saw the protests. Next we see Zacchaeus' penitent heart. And I'm just going to try to finish this. So Zacchaeus cheated people out of their money. And in Numbers chapter 5, verse 5 through 10, if you cheated someone out of the money, you are to pay them back and add 20% on top. Well, Zacchaeus went well beyond what the law required. Some say that Zacchaeus had little of his riches left because he gave away so much. In contrast to the rich young ruler in Luke 18 who couldn't give away his, his money. You might say Zacchaeus was extravagant with his generosity. You know, I wish that unbelievers would ask us that question. Why are you guys so extravagant with your generosity? Ooh, ooh, answer that, ask that question. Why are you Christians so extravagant with your generosity? I wish an unbeliever would ask me that question. Which, which, begs, to, which begs the question, are you generous? That's really a, a trick question because God was generous to us by sending his only son. And, well, so uh, problem, protest, penitent heart. You might say Zacchaeus did acts in keeping with repentance, Luke 3, 8. The, the last P is Jesus' proclamation. He, he makes two proclamations. In verse 9, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. In other words, Jesus is saying, this man has bowed the knee. His name is graven on my hand, like yours. <laughs> this phrase, salvation has come to this house, means that not that his whole household is saved, but Zacchaeus might be used as an instrument to bring others to Christ in his home. And the second proclamation Jesus makes is, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save. I don't know where churches get this idea that they are to have seeker services. <laughs> we are to seek. We are to do the seeking. So time out for all these gimmicks. That's our calling, beloved. We are to be active seekers of unbelievers like Jesus was. That's our calling. So we talked about the problem, the protests, Zacchaeus' penitent heart, Jesus' twofold proclamation. This couple, this husband-wife team, were seekers of unbelievers. After Dr. Butterfield, a flaming lesbian and liberal, criticized Christianity in a public letter, they took the initiative, this husband-wife team, they took the initiative and sought her out. 
which sounds familiar to, for the Son of Man, Jesus came to seek and to save. Butterfield tells a story in her book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. The husband writes her back to gently push back on her letter, and he, and he invites her to dinner. This flaming lesbian. This couple practices hospitality. And we need to get creative about showing hospitality now in this COVID moment, but what a great way to love your neighbors by showing hospitality or unbelievers. But this couple went the extra mile. They knew that Butterfield was pro-environment, so they didn't run their air conditioner. They also knew she was a vegetarian, so they prepared a meal for her diet. Can you imagine the give and take and the questions and answers these three engaged in? I can imagine Butterfield asking some difficult questions. Needless to say, Butterfield found God, or rather, God found her through her questions. We have a new family member, Dr. Butterfield. Butterfield is now married. She has left the lesbian lifestyle. She has a family. God used these seekers of unbelievers, this husband-wife team, and their good questions. And God likely used other Christians and their good questions. And he also likely used Butterfield's curiosity and her hostile questions. And God used all of that to lead her to himself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Another family member. May we be relentless seekers of unbelievers. I'm talking about us. As, as God hunted us down. You, no, you didn't go looking for God. God hunted you down. And you came kicking and screaming. And may we with the same gusto seek unbelievers. And may we depend heavily on the Holy Spirit. Not your pedigree, not your degrees, not your knowledge, but depend on the Holy Spirit to courageously engage unbelievers in their hard questions. And may we in turn ask good questions. May it be so. Let the church say, Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.